Welcome to Creation Conversations with Joe Hubbard and John Mackay. Join us each week as we answer your questions and common objections to the Bible, creation, and Noah's flood. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you're joining us from around the planet. Welcome back to Creation Conversations. We've got a great topic for you tonight, a little bit more of an in-depth one, uh, one that I was actually quite surprised that we haven't dealt with yet in our nearly two years of doing the show. So uh, it should be pretty good. It's sort of based um, this topic off of one of the books that we produced a few years back, all about stalactites, stalagmites, age of the earth, and everything else in between. So it should be good. But we're joined by our whole team. Oh, they are. Thank you, Sam. Um, We've got, well, we've got Sam, we've got Diane, we've got John, we've got Craig, we've got everybody on board tonight. So uh, how are we all doing? Well, ladies Fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> well, you're not the lady good you better tell us how you are uh i'm better than i was last week but i'm still uh i'm still struggling with this bug that i've got so and have you got your luggage back yet no i haven't and i oh. can't get any sense out of the airlines <laughs> i think i think they've had a major meltdown in both the airlines and the airport so yes i'd appreciate your prayers thing. yeah yeah yeah, I think yeah, well, we, we saw the BBC report on the airport in London. I think your luggage is still there on the floor, 1500th port to the left. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. I wouldn't be at all surprised. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing, Craig? You're back in uh, Tasmania now? Yeah, fantastic. Um, time I had in Queensland with John, uh, went up and saw Jurassic Ark, and it's a wintry, cold day down here. So it'd be good to be back in Queensland, I think. In fact, Craig, how many years is it, according to the BOM people, Weather Bureau, since it was this cold in Tasmania? I think it's the coldest start to winter in about 60 years from what they're saying. Ah, so it has been this cold. So the climate's sort of going up and down. Is that is that an impression you get? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been really cold down here. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's the same in Canberra. It's been one of the coldest starts to winter that we've had here. Uh, well, come and live in Queensland, a- all you southerners. <laughs> it's nice and moderately cool up here, but not cold. Uh, a, few, a few years ago, they were predicting there'd be not enough snow to um, ski on in Australia, and uh, this year they've started the, the ski lifts at least a week early. So there you, <laughs> there you go. Australia is not all just you know jungles and deserts and so on. And so I remember that thinking when I was going to Australia, it was going to be like, oh, what should I? As I said to John, what should I pack clothes-wise? Thinking you know shorts and t-shirts and whatever. And he's like, well, we're going to start off in Queensland, which is going to be sort of uh, you know late winter, so it'll be sort of sixteen to eighteen degrees centigrade, and then we'll go down to the mountains where it'll be snowing, and then we'll go down to Tasmania, then we'll be in the desert, and I'm going to have to have a whole kit. <laughs> Absolutely everything under the sun to survive now. So, yeah, it's um, a wonderful, diverse place for climate. But it is that that key, you know, climate's been going up and down and up and down. And that's what we see on the short term. That's what we see on the long term. That's what we see on the really long term uh, is, a, is a cyclical view of how climate works. So, But our topic, our topic tonight isn't climate change. You can go and watch our climate change program if you're interested in that. Um, 
We're talking, of course, about static tides and static mites. But let's start off with uh, a bit of a, a ministry update. What have we been up to ministry-wise? What stuff have we dug up? What have we done with our museum project around the world? And so on and so forth. And uh, let's see where we got from there. So, John, what have, what have you been up to? Well, uh, we've had a very interesting week or two out here. We've uh, been up to Jurassic Ark, uh, but more of that at another show on some of the tree ring structures that we've been mm. photographing and recording there. Um, and of course, uh, I've actually taken an interesting picture. So, Joe, if you can perhaps bring up my screen Let's because bring it up this now. new technology to me today, I'm on a different computer. Now, you'll need to tell me what yes. to do next. You see, I'm we still are, working. We are, we are lacking, yeah, we're lacking a, a, a grandson of John's who usually helps him with the technology. <laughs> so, excuse us while we take John through. John, if you go down to the bottom of your screen, you yeah. should see a little PowerPoint icon. Yeah. If you just hover over that PowerPoint icon, it should yeah. bring up a few windows, including all the way over on the right hand side. It should bring up your full screen presentation if you yep, go over and click is. on that yeah you should just be able to click through have we got it or have we ruined it i've got it can you just click through at all okay left and right doesn't move doesn't move one bit We've i lost think you can go ahead and... yes <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry. I've ruined this totally without a grandson okay. here today. Just press, just press escape. If you go to your, your um, yep, keypad, click escape. Yeah. Press over now the PowerPoint I'll... again. Yeah, try it again. Go to the PowerPoint slideshow. Yeah, slideshow. Press on it. Yeah. Done. And it brings it up ah, in front of you. There we go. We're there. good. Praise I'm cleverer Lord. than Joseph thought anyway. Um <laughs> Okay, now look, that's not too exciting, um, but the reason I took that picture, um, it's going to turn into something really exciting. We were just coming home from our artists, and I stopped at the corner. Well, my wife stopped. I wasn't driving. I'd be in trouble as a camera at this place here. Uh, and I had my iPhone out, and I thought, oh, there's the sun behind some bushfire smoke. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm old enough to remember when we had smoke glass slides to look at the sun through and you actually could see an awful lot of detail. So I just snapped the picture and uh, then the light went green. So my wife began to move off and that's when the results become interesting. But first of all, a couple of close-ups. Can you spot anything interesting yet? No, you can't turn right. Uh, yes, you can go straight ahead. And yes, you can go around to the left-hand corner, which we were doing. Can you spot anything interesting on the sun? Well, we'll come back to these because as we turned around the corner, a second later, I took that picture because the sun became clearer. Now, what can you see? Because I didn't see it when it happened. Something's shooting through the picture. Another sun has appeared in the middle right-hand side of the power lines. Oh, and there's something interesting way up the top. Okay, let's keep going. It's interesting. Look at that. Oh, the sun's interesting, and you can see a lot of details, but look at the smoke from the bushfire. There's a trail through it, and look at the object in the bottom left-hand side. So what have I seen? No, I didn't see that while it was happening. I only saw it just as the camera shutter began to shut, and I saw that bottom thing whiz through. Wow, interesting. What did I see from the falling from the sky? Number one, 
Well, that's the sun. That's obvious. It's got an interesting smoke uh, aura around it, and it's got a trail of smoke coming down the right-hand side. Ah, number three and number four. Well, number three is obviously the thing that interested me, but number four is actually a second trail. And you'll notice one other thing. See number five and six? Number five is actually what looks like another sun, but it's not. Number five turns out to be sort of like, almost like a little shockwave. Something's happened at those spots. You see, I've been in touch with the university and quite a lot of people around the planet. Number six is definitely an explosion of some sort. You can't quite see it, but there's another trail coming off to the right there. And number seven is the object. Hmm. Okay. There's the sun back close up. See what I meant about using a, a smoked glass? Can you see what looks like something projecting from it? Take you down a bit there. Now, this is the old way we used to say, oh, look, there's a flare coming off the sun. Now, I sent this to the university and we're currently trying to work out, have we just seen a falling star, a meteorite, uh, or is this space junk? Now, what's interesting, the one thing we know it isn't is going to keep us occupied for a while. Oh, you see, keep looking for the fact that Jesus said in Matthew 24 that after all these days of tribulation, he's been talking about all sorts of persecution, the trouble that's coming, the Romans invading Israel, etc. And then he says, after these times, the stars will begin to fall. Well, it looks like we've seen a bit of space junk that nobody else except us saw. And we weren't even looking for it. We actually were just photographing the sun. And we have got what appears to be interesting flares. Well, we began to look, has anybody else seen this? So I'm going to actually um, swap this off, put my next sign on. Joe, provided you can tell me how to get out of this now, uh, then we can bring you and Diane in Brian, on the conversation. Just press your Windows key. Yeah. And then just click on your browser, which is Google Chrome, yeah. I believe. And that should bring you yeah, back to us. So you can see That's us. Good. I'll just turn your slides off. Good. You should all we be did here. A good job. We're there. Excellent. Now we'll just remember how to do that next time. <laughs> no, no, I won't. I'll ask you again. Now, Diane, you were one of the people who tried to check up because I asked the university, I've asked quite a few people, did anybody else see this? What have you found out? Well, I just looked on the um, the mainstream news media sites for um, using keywords like meteorite, southeast Queensland, um, uh, and things like that, and I couldn't find anything. Um, so and normally things level, like, I, I mean, if some solid object had actually fallen onto the ground, someone surely would have reported it because this is not a place that's sort of way out in the uh, you know, out in the outback or something. It is a built-up area. So if something yeah, had certainly. fallen onto the ground, someone would have noticed it. Yeah, so we had a bushfire going on. We had lots mm. of attention to the bushfire. It's not far out of town. I'm in the Redlands uh, where I took that picture. Joe, you did some looking. What did you find? Nothing. Nothing. Basically nothing. No report, no nothing. See, there are people who are professional meteorite hunters, right? Yeah. And uh, there are people who 
have ways of finding out reports mm. of objects falling from the sky and going and, and looking, right? And some of these people are tied up with the military and the military is monitoring everything. And so you can go and find meteorites. And nine times out of 10, people don't mind if it's, you know, a genuine piece of space rock. But the two real interesting things for me is, number one, there's no report of this anywhere. And, you know, as you say, sometimes it'll be, a, oh, look what was spotted, you know, flying over Brisbane tonight. No report of that anywhere from what I could find. But what really intrigued me, and I know it intrigued you as well, John, is that trail of smoke. Yeah, Because um, that's did. not really indicative of a, of a space rock in the slightest. Now, you see, what that implies, if you've got two trails and they both are smoking, one going what looks like through the bushfire smoke, then that may be understandable. But there's one way above the smoke cloud, which would imply it's burning. It's not burning like a meteorite does with a fancy flash ahead. I've seen quite a lot of meteorites fall with a sort of um, flaring head, but no smoke trail. But this one's got a smoke trail. It would imply there's carbon there, some sort of oil or carbon material that's been used to construct it, which would imply satellite, which would imply a satellite fell to the ground in a, well, almost a predictable track, but mm. nobody was aware of it. You know, the, the pilots flying through Brisbane would have hated to have one of those come through their cockpit or through, through the wing. So they always keep track of where the space junk actually is to try and predict this. So perhaps we could be really conspiratorial and say the Russians shut, shot down one of our weather satellites. We could, we could make all sorts of fancy things up. But the one thing we can be dogmatic about, and we'll come back to that when I get some more replies from around the university, the one thing we know about, it's not the stars referred to in Matthew chapter 24 as really announcing the end of all things. And you make sure you keep looking for that because when that happens, you need to know Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Mm, absolutely. Now, exciting stuff, exciting stuff there. Um, well, I'll give you a, a brief little update as to what I've been uh, been doing and a few interesting little comments as well. Um, we've been you know, very busy still do, dealing with stuff with the museum project and preparing for exhibitions and stuff that are happening later this year. I've got a rather interesting fossil that came in yesterday. In fact, we've actually got quite a few of these. John, you might be able to recognise what this is. Let's pull it up full screen. There we go. Lots of little chunks of uh, white rock, right? Yeah. And then you can see, let's see if we can get it into, into focus there. Yeah, you, you can. Lovely well, stromatolite. Well, it's either a stromatolite oh, or a nice. Hmm. either a stromatolite or a bit of pottery yeah now this is a lovely stromatolite i've got quite a number of these here let's hold another one up see if we can get that into mm -hmm. focus uh you see how it's been kind of come on focus there we go, oh, yeah, there, we go. there we go oh, that's better. lovely polished surface to it where they've polished it up showing the beautiful rings that come mm -hmm. along right mm -hmm. very indicative of a stromatolite um and a living fossil as well because john you have these not too far from your place we certainly do. We have them uh, uh, growing in Western Australia. You have some of them off uh, the uh, Southern Australian uh, area there. So uh, I've actually even seen ones from the lakes of Michigan. So mm. they're not extinct, despite the fact they're supposed to be some of the most primitive life on the planet. They're actually fairly sophisticated. They're still here. They haven't evolved one bit. And I personally have stromatolites from every level that they're found in. In fact, you may remember, because I think you were there when we traveled west of Alice Springs Airport to an old quarry, 
and found a beautiful, intact, absolutely three-dimensional uh, stromatolite, one that we that I can't find anywhere else ever seen before. Normally, you see them in, in layers. You can get a bit off the edge. But this one, the whole top is intact. We pulled off the top, and you should see the, 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 the structure underneath it. I've never seen a fossil stromatolite in 3D like that. So we, we have them from everywhere. We could trace the evolution of stromatolites, and they haven't. Right, they haven't evolved at all. They've reproduced after their own kind. And if you still are clinging to the old, old earth, then I'm sorry, the old time, the millions of years, the billions of years from stromatolites don't help your evolution one bit. In fact, the longer they've stayed the same, the more your theory of evolution is shot to pieces. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the real the real key thing. These are living fossils. And um, this is a really an, a really nice one. This is also called beetroot stone. Um, but they are they are definitely stromatolites. They're actually from UK. They're near Sirencester in, in Gloucestershire. So there's some lovely English names for all of you Americans out there. But the great thing about these is we got loads of these. I mean, I've got a huge, great big box of these from the guy who actually dug them and cut them and polished them. And I've kept out a few of the nicest ones, which will go in our collection. But what we're actually doing is we're pulling together a special discovery pack, a fossil discovery pack, an evidence pack, because we want to try and, you know, provide fossils, sell fossils. You can support us by buying our fossils. But also we want to provide fossils to you that actually uh, contains evidence that is useful for you in your evangelism, in your display, in your understanding, in your learning. And so one of the things we're doing is pulling together a living fossils evidence or discovery pack. Uh, it'll have some stromatolites. It'll have things like you can see what I've got on my T-shirt. These little sea lilies, the crinoids, right? We've got fossil crinoids from Morocco. We've got sea urchins and all sorts of wonderful uh, living fossils, which we'll put together with a little booklet. And Lord willing, will be uh, available in the next few weeks because we'd like to have it ready for when we hit the road later on this year. So keep an eye out and keep following us. So that's one of the things that we've been doing. Another thing that I'd like to briefly talk about, just briefly mention and give a little bit of background, is it's been a rather historic day for the United States. Uh, most of you will have probably heard by now, because it's all over all of the media outlets and it's all over Facebook, that the historic court case Roe versus Wade has been overturned by the Supreme Court of the United States of America. And just looking through Facebook, right, and seeing it on BBC News and seeing it on Sky News and seeing it on all the, the little news outlets as well, as well as people sharing it and commenting on it, right? And I have a fairly wide range, uh, diverse range of friends on Facebook, shall we say. And you've got all of the pro-choice people saying, oh, this is horrendous. Ah, that abortion is now illegal in the US. And you've got all the pro-life people going, this is wonderful. Abortion is now illegal in the US with no real idea of what is actually going on here. So uh, apologies to the Americans. Um, I'm not trying to explain your constitutional system to you. But for the people who are not from the US, let me just see if I can shed a little bit of light on what actually has been going on. About 50 years ago, big historic court case, Roe versus Wade. And Roe in particular was uh, advocating that abortion was a constitutional right in the United States, and they won that court case. In other words, abortion or the right to have an abortion or the legal right to have an abortion became a federal issue. 
In other words, because it was dated by the Supreme Court as to be a constitutional right, all of America had to stick by it, where it doesn't matter what state you belong to, if you were under the Constitution of America, you had to have the, uh, uh, you know, you had to provide or abortion essentially was a legal thing, a legal right for women. What Roe versus Wade being overturned has done is the Supreme Court has basically said that was never a constitutional thing. And as far as I can see, from my understanding of the way that politics and the way that the Constitution works in the states, they're right. It never was a constitutional right, so they've overturned it. Now, does it mean that abortion is now illegal in the United States? No, what it means is that individual states now have their own right to decide whether it's legal or illegal. So in other words, they've removed it from a federal issue. It's no longer a uh, you know, nationwide issue, and it's down on the state level. The states can decide, just like states can decide, for instance, uh, you know, with some drugs, whether possession of drug is a crime or whether it's a misdemeanor or whether it's a felony or, you know, all these different legal terms, right? So now it's down to the state to decide and it's going to be different from state to state. That's what's happened with abortion now in the states. It is down for the state to decide. So in one sense, it's actually a very good thing for democracy because the people within the state can vote a governor into position who is going to either allow abortion or make abortion, abortion illegal, right? So that's the first thing. The good news is, however, for those of us here who are pro-life, already a large number of states, I believe the figure is 12 or 13, but it includes places like Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, and so on and so forth. They've already said that from today, basically from this historic court case, abortion is going to be illegal in that state. So praise the Lord, that's a good thing. It's going to save babies. It's going to potentially allow Christians to help educate people. It's going to allow Christians to help evangelize to people. Use this. Um, but it's not quite the sense of abortion is now illegal in the States, uh, whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's not quite as straightforward as that. Uh, whether you support abortion or not, it's actually a good constitutional thing. It's a good democratic thing to have happened in the States. It's also a very positive step forward for those who are pro-life, um, because at the end of the day, it means that they now have a say, uh, people of the United States has a, have a say in whether they think it should be illegal or an illegal thing to do. So hopefully that it gives you a little bit of a bigger, a slightly clearer idea of uh, what's actually been going on legally. But John, Diane, do you want to comment uh, on abortion yeah. as, it, as it goes? I'll comment, um, first of all, then Diane. Um, we did a video ages ago and it was a subject of, uh, of uh, much criticism as well as much support uh, because the first bit was a program we did here recently on the creation of love and marriage, right? But the second half of that is a documentary, right? Yes. And the documentary is all on abortion and it's been such a useful thing because when we released that, one of our New Zealand helpers said, I was working in schools at the time and he said one of the 16 year olds became pregnant and all the pressure on her was to go ahead and have an abortion and she didn't see any problem because after all the baby just was a a little animal with a fish tail and gills because that's what the pictures were in the textbook the embryonic pictures of Haeckel remember they were still brainwashing kids with that in New Zealand and they still are in New Zealand as in Australia as in the USA 
that the embryo has nothing to do with humanity or humans, right? And when we took her through that video, he said she got to see the real truth. The baby is actually a really baby. You know, it's got toes and, and fingers and all of that right, right pretty well close to the start, and it never is a fish never is an embryo that looks like anything Haeckel ever drew. He lied to us, and Diane might want to comment on that. But he said the good news is she decided to not actually have an abortion, and she's a young Christian lady now. So all of those things are wonderful good news. So if you want to follow up on this and hear personal testimonies from ladies who had abortions and the terrible consequences of that, then I'd encourage you pick up our creation of love and marriage with the free documentary on it. It's available on streaming. So Sam, tell them how they can get stream material all around the planet. And uh, if you still have um, any copies of those, Joe, I think that's available as a DVD as well. So you can stream that our creation of love and marriage with the free documentary on uh, the abortion it issue. Is yeah, really great. It's available on the streaming sites for you to go and watch. I think uh, because we put them up as, as streaming, the um, uh, the abortion um, documentary is actually up as a separate thing to the love and marriage, but it's cheaper to watch. So go and do that. Uh, but also, yes, you can still purchase the DVD here in the UK, creationresearchstore.com, and um, you will be able to... Uh, buy the dvd and it's on as an additional part of that dvd so it comes with it so it's just the one purchase for that but it's actually a very very good um very good and very eye-opening documentary for sure so definitely one that we recommend so there we go hopefully that's made it a little bit clearer but yes diane go ahead you want to comment uh well, certainly the, uh, the the evolutionary idea that somehow an unborn baby is less than human uh, is, is very persistent. Um, I once had a student at the university ask me, oh, um, when we were actually studying reproduction, um, when does an unborn baby become human? And I got her to work it out for herself that um, the baby is formed when you have the union of the uh, mother's egg, the mother's ovum, and uh, and a male sperm, both of which are human. So as soon as it's formed, it is fully human. So there is no time that it is ever less than human, um, no matter how young it is. Now, they, um, the abortion laws have often tried to put sort of certain time limits, you know, after so many weeks. Uh, mind you, the recent abortion laws in Australia have extended it all almost up to birth. Uh, but even the earlier ones, um, which had a, a limited number of weeks, say sort of 12 or, or 20. Uh, but if, if you just get people to think it through, um, an unborn baby is fully human as soon as it's formed. Uh, your life began when you were conceived as one cell from your, um, from your mother's ovum and, and your father's sperm. So there is no time that an unborn baby is ever less than human. And uh, there's one political ramification here, Diane, that almost nobody outside of England knows. I'm not even sure if Joseph is familiar with our history. Andrew Forbes, who was our uh, treasurer for so many years, mm. he had a real burden for universities and he contacted the leading universities in England and asked the biology professors, what did they find the most convincing evidence to, to make them believe in evolution. And basically nine out of 10 of them replied, Haeckel's embryonic pictures. 
Yeah. Right. In other words, it's still in my were... university textbook. Yeah, that's today, right. Proven to be a fake years ago. That's right. So we've yeah. been lied to, folks, about embryos and about stromatolites. In fact, the whole theory of evolution, uh, you theologians who watch this or catch on to it, you have been lied to. It takes us quite a while, took me quite a while to actually realise we've been lied to big time. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, go and check out those documentaries. There's plenty of great information on there as well. Uh, any any final comments from the panel before we move on to our main uh, main topic of today? No? All right. Great stuff. No. Well, um, Sam, would you like to just give everybody a bit of a uh, a bit of a sort of a background as to how questions and answers are going to work today? Because we've got a big topic to deal with. So your, your thoughts. Yes, certainly. OK, so uh, if you have a question for us, uh, we would politely ask because we've got a lot of content to cover here and it's quite fairly specific. So if we could try and hold off on the the more general questions and uh, keep them more towards the topic today, um, that would be very beneficial for us. Obviously, if you do have any burning questions, please do submit them. We will obviously, if we don't get them to them today, we will save them and come back to them another time. Um, but if you have any questions, we would prefer the more relevant topics for today. Yeah. Uh, make sure to write question like for your question. Make sure to put Q. Uh, before your question that makes it much much easier for me to see and then that way i can flag it up and, and save it for later sounds great yeah now keep your questions coming it's just today we're going to only really try and be focusing on the ones that are relevant but if we do have time at the end we can go through questions as well so keep them coming anyway john over to you to introduce mm -hmm. the topic what we're going to be speaking about and a bit of background because really this all started with you a very very long time ago mm -hmm. it certainly did we're going to do this in sort of two ways. One is I'm going to talk for a little while about my personal interest and involvement in this. Then Joseph and I are going to play how to deal with an Australian ignoramus who can't run this PowerPoint. And we'll get that up and take you through some of the pictures of research. OK, number one, uh, born in Australia. Number two, lived on the edge of the city, edge of the country. Number three, didn't have running water, didn't have power in the house I was sort of born in, uh, didn't have dirt, anything apart from dirt roads. So Australia was frontier land in a real sense. Okay, running water, you had a tank. The water ran off the roof, you collected it. But that meant um, bird poo, that meant leaves, that meant all sorts of things that were up on the roof could actually end up somewhere else. So you would have a sort of a wire filter over the top of your uh, um, tank uh, the tank would hold several thousand gallons, the old imperial measure of water, and you would carefully monitor how much water you use simply by tapping on the side of the tank. And if you've never had to do that, the less water there is in the tank, the more the sound changes. So you have a really accurate way of knowing when you're running out of water. But you also had to do one thing, that is get inside the tank and clean it. Now, my dad was too big. I was growing up. I was just the right size. Um, I wouldn't fit in a tank now, but no need for further comment on that. But there's one other thing that happened. You got inside the tank and you discovered two things. This tank was now getting old. Therefore, it developed leaks. Therefore, you'd actually had to coat the inside with maybe an inch of concrete cement. 
right? Now, what this would do would be to stop the actual leak for a while, but eventually you would notice on the outside, a white streak would come out of that uh, leak and actually run down the edge and something interesting would grow off the bottom, okay? You get in the tank, you find, hey, look what we've been drinking. Well, maybe not drinking, but the end results ended up in you. It's one reason we, we were so immune to diseases, I think, because there were dead frogs, there were dead flies, there was dead leaves. This was organic, um, rainwater for sure, but a, a sort of like a slightly organic soup. And you seem to be immune to most things because as a result of it. So as I tell the kids or the parents today, if you want your kids to be healthy, send them outside to play in the dirt. It's the best trigger for their immune system on the planet. And the tank water certainly seemed to do that. But back to those white streaks, because as I grew up, I noticed one thing. The white streaks would come down the tank and they would grow little stalactites off the bottom. And it didn't take long for the stalactites to get longer and longer. And if your dog ran under the tank, he would break them off, but they would keep on growing. Now, that's the background. Now, I grew up not in a church family. I grew up going to high school. You have evolution plugged into your head. You grew up going to university. And it was all about millions of years. Now, Joe, if we can now bring our, our PowerPoint back up, you've got to tell me how to do it again. Short-term memory loss. Yep, so remember, you're going down, hovering over your PowerPoint icon, and you're yeah. going all the way over to your full screen presentation, clicking there on that, are. and then you should be able to click left and right through it. Okay, good. There's a heading. I turned this into a talk uh, for a university who was so adamant that you'd take millions of years. I do debates against professors. Uh, and often when they know you're a creationist, they know that the Bible says the world made was made in six days. And they don't need a lesson in Hebrew to, to know that what that's implying is you didn't even take seven days. You didn't take 10 days. There's the key verse in this whole issue. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth to see and all that's in them and rested on the seventh. Now, they hate that verse. Our professor at university said, we're not going to discuss creation or any such catastrophic nonsense. And he was right. We didn't. It was just poke fun at. Okay. That's what the crux becomes if you pursue it. Okay. What's the problem here? Well, I did a debate a few years ago. It's still available on our YouTube, I believe. Atheist biology professor John Turner versus creation guy John Mackay back pre-COVID days. Now, he and I got along pretty well. Um Yep, there's me, the big Aussie guy on the left. There's him on the right. And what was his attitude? Well, atheist and evolutionist. We had good discussions about it. But there's one of the things he admitted in the debate. Now, you don't have to take my word for it. Go and listen to it and hear the quote yourself. We have precious little in the way of intermediates. No intermediates with stromatolites. No intermediates with the ape creatures. No intermediates with any group that I know of. But... He went on and said this, the world is so old, evolution must have happened. Now, I've debated many professors around the planet, and most of them, the evidence just disintegrates, disappears. And they've got this belief that the world is so old, the Bible can't be true, and evolution must be. And in the mix there is their beliefs about stalactites and stalagmites. The reason? When they think time 
is the reason there's life on the planet, the reason there's design in the universe. When time is the hero of the plot, they put God out the window. I mean, we've just short-circuited the whole philosophical system of the universities and the schools and the politicians. So have a look at it. It's on our YouTube, uh, creationresearch.net. You'll still see it there. Go and check for yourself. Now, this has led to many observations by myself about stalactites over the years, including from when I wasn't even a Christian. My first visit to Nolan Caves was back when I was 16. Um, 4,000 years old? Wow. I'll tell you what, that's what's in the guidebook from back in the 19... Oh, what's that? 60s. I'll tell you what, uh, I wasn't very old, but neither was Janolan Caves. Now, I went back there in 2000 and so, and it was listed as 400,000 years old. Now, I it hadn't been that long since I was at the actual caves. So when you have a look at this, you go inside... And there's some marvellous big stalactites and stalagmites. And the guide tells you they took vast ages to form. Don't touch them. They're so slow growing. But what you find is interesting. They're up on the power lines. Don't touch them. They take so long to grow. Well, if you have stalactites on the, the handlebars and the, and, and the power lines, something's wrong with the logic. But then I already guessed at that because the stalactites grew under my dad's tank and they didn't take long. Hmm. Okay, there's the logic. The normal stalactites must take a long time because they are caused by a chemical reaction only, carbon dioxide plus water, which forms a mild carbonic acid, dissolves the lime, it comes through the cave rock, it drips on the outside, it loses CO2, and precipitates a weeny-teeny bit of limestone back onto the stalactite. But when you add to that, the time for stalactite growth has to allow for the time for a cave to form in the first place, which is a millions. Oh, come on, come on. Think through solid rock and there's no cave there. You won't get any stalactites. So first of all, something has to eat out the hole and then the water can run through the rock and drip into the space. So most evolutionists don't, don't really think much about caves, but they know that vast amounts of time. Did you get that word? They know. Now, science, observation, no, they haven't seen a cave form. No, almost none of them have bothered to check. How do I know that? I asked the cave guys, did you watch this? No. Did you do experiments on it? No. Okay. In fact, the counter-creationist handbook, University of California Press 2007, that's where that statement actually comes from. Did they check it? No. They just believe it. Ah, sometimes in the order of tens of millions of years to make a cave. Now, look, let's be blunt. The Bible says beware of false science. What science? Aren't you supposed to observe things? Aren't you supposed to test things? The minute you have anything longer than your lifespan, you personally haven't observed it. If it's longer than the time span of so-called uh, science history, then nobody has scientifically recorded it. If it's longer than the human uh, occupation of the planet, then it's way outside the whole realm of what you call science, which led to this. There's a tank in the background. There's what looks like a, well, it looks like a giraffe <laughs> watering trough. Well, it isn't. It's our first ever stalactite machine. Number one, built by Fred Dainty and about three or four helpers in 2015, October the 1st. Uh, look at this. Really interesting. There's good old Fred. 
What we have is a concrete trough and we have shells in the bottom because shells are naturally made of limestone, limestone rocks full of shells. And on the top of that, we're going to put a layer of raw cement, not concrete, raw cement. And you notice our wicks there to, to drain any water out. And then on top of that is our secret ingredient. Because one thing John Mackay discovered ages ago, there he is in the back. Um, I'll tell you what, one thing John Mackay discovered ages ago is the fact that in my tank, there was dead frogs. In my tank, there was broken bits of leaf. There was mosquitoes that were dead. There was all sorts of organic stuff. And when there was organics, the talactites grew quickly. In fact, in the caves where the fastest talactites grow, there's forest on the top. Where the slowest stalactites grow, there's none. Ah, do you know when they were re regrassing the the uh, area around Narracourt Caves? Narracourt Caves, you can go there, beautiful set of caves, and they usually tell you how slow the stalactites grow. Well, when they were doing it up for a big new expansion, they put a new grass area over the top and they watered it. Surprise, surprise! The stalactites started to grow again. Grass, mulch bacteria. You know, we've become convinced that the main thing involved in stalactite growth is not just the water, not just the CO2, but the mulch. And the mulch provides bacteria. And boy, do you get some stalactites. Oh, there's the average growth rate off Wikipedia. Now, Wikipedia, of course, is known for its accuracy, but you can improve it every day if you like. The average growth rate, according to experts, is 0.13 millimetre or 0.0051 inches a year, which means you get old very fast if you sit around watching them grow. Now, February 15th, 2016, through to October the 1st, 2015, there's Liam. Liam's a geologist. Uh, Liam is really impressed with our stalactite machine. In fact, it's a stalactite that grew in the Gympie gold mines where he worked in the time that the actual mine had been shut and then they dewatered it and the stalactites had grown because they know they weren't there uh, a few years earlier when the cave filled with water. So he got really interested. It led to his conversion. It led to him, be him becoming one of the real helpers. So let's give you some time-lapse photography. You see, one of the good ways of observing things and recording them so you can use them in a debate is actually to do exactly that. Measure, not just notes, but record, 15th of second, 2016. What's it made of? Well, the beautiful close-up, there's our hydrochloric acid. They're definitely made of limestone. Now, not just ordinary uh, calcium carbonate that dribbled through and got caught on the wick. It turns out that they've been checked thoroughly. University um, equipment that actually checks the X-ray structure, the crystalline structure, this is provably calcium carbonate crystals. I'll look between the 15th of the second and the 31st of the next month. Can you see the growth as a tube down the bottom? And look, right up to the next year, the 7th of the third. Wow, look, look at the growth rate there from the end. These are growing incredibly rapidly. Not that growth rate. Our growth rate was one centimetre a month. So after one year, we had a 12 centimetre long stalactite straw, not 0.13 millimetres a year at all. When you have a look at a bridge, they, they claim that the bridges are the fastest growing, 
yet, yet they'll admit that bridges grow stalactite, like Wheelie Bridge that Joseph's going to talk about later, grows stalactites itself pretty fast. The fastest was 40 millimetres a year. That's 1.6 inches a year. Well, our growth rate was 12 centimetres per year or 4.8 inches. Now, whatever we're doing is much, much faster than they admit. I mean, look at the reference, science.jrank.org pages on stalactites and stalagmites. So this growth rate is pushed around the planet without anybody running checks at all. Now, you're going to have an opportunity now. If you've got any questions, Joseph, they're going to get question time later. It's too early for questions now, but get your questions ready. And as Sam said, keep them to topic as much as you possibly can. Or I'm going to come back to that after Joe brings us a really interesting section that is filmed. All right, Joe, you just All have right. to tell me to get out of here. You remember, you press your Windows key and then click on your browser and that should bring you straight back to us. Okay. I've got a full screen here. That one there. Now, Windows press key, my browser. browser yeah, and it should bring you back to Look us. Wonderful stuff. Great stuff. Look. All right. Now that was really good, John. Thanks for that. Um, let's uh, move on to the to the next little section then, um, which I believe John is going to be me talking about uh, some special copper mines. Is that correct? Um, I think you went to a bridge you want to film. Yes, I did. Well, I've got I've got two different things. I've got. We'll have a look at some of the uh, quick mines, some examples of quick stalactites, and yep. then we'll have a look at the bridge and go from there. I think that'll yep. work quite well because I've got a few different uh, few different uh, PowerPoint slides. So yes, we'd started collecting this kind of evidence from all over the world, and I'd sort of heard about this. I hadn't been over to Jurassic Arc yet. Um, at this point, but I started hearing about this. And in fact, in 2017, I ended up going and finding some of this evidence for myself. Uh, in fact, two key evidences, which we're about to share with you. In fact, John, these two key evidences we used, uh, you remember the Big Answers in Genesis mega conference in yeah. 2017 here in the UK? Yeah. And I helped yeah. uh, with John's presentation. I shared the stage with him. We did a great little section uh, all about this evidence of stalactites and stalagmites. And it was that research, which you'll then see what John is going to talk about in a moment after I finish my little section. And it's that research that then ended up really inspiring the book, Tides, Mites and Fossil Fights, um, which I'm sure Sam has got a copy of about now, which he can hold up for us. There it is there. Yeah, an absolutely great production there. But anyway, let's um, pull up some of my slides and just take you through some of the evidence. All right. Now, when I visited this place, it was about a six-hour, seven-hour drive away from where I lived. So we were there on holiday. It actually turns out that it's pretty much just down the road from us. It's uh, no more than a sort of a 45-minute drive at the moment to an hour. So it's uh, it's pretty local to us now, although it's been all closed down through the COVID times. So I need to go back and see it soon. In fact, I've actually got a great idea of doing a tights and mites field trip which would start at the museum with some of our collection and it would go just down the road to begin with to Church Canal Tunnel, which we'll talk about later. Um, in fact, we took Diane there the other day and then it would finish up at this place, Saigon Copper Mine. It's in Wales. It's in the middle of Snowdonia. Uh, it's uh, actually pretty much right in the middle of Snowdonia uh, next to the, the famous Mount Snowdon. And 
Saigon copper mines, well, there they are. They literally get carved into the side of the cliff, into the side of the mountain. And it's very sort of Indiana Jones-esque as you go crawling through. You see all the uh, the little cart rails on the on the bottom, on the, on the floor there. Um, this was a copper mine. And so as you walk through, you see evidence of malachite. Malachite is the copper aurite, the sort of bluey green kind of rock. And you walk through and you see some fantastic mining type of things. I mean, this was started, they think, mining at the time of the Romans, but it really became big during the Industrial Revolution into the Victorian times. It was a big business mining copper out of Saigon copper mines. And so you go crawling down through the tunnel, great colours, great feet. I mean, this is a few years back, as you can see. I'm looking a little bit younger there. And then you come across these things. Beautiful, stalactite tights stalactites the ones that hang down from the ceiling um absolutely gorgeous i mean the picture doesn't really do it justice because you've got kind of your the 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 the, the um the the mine is kind of lit up uh with lighting artificial lighting as you walk through and this is a beautiful deep well copper color really um it's a beautiful made out of iron almost rust and it's this wonderful orangey color as you go walking through these fantastic stalactites and stalagmites. I mean, you can see the iridescent sheen that is kind of coming off of them. Absolutely beautiful. And by the way, these are tunnels. These are caverns which are closed off. You can't walk in and get up close to these ones. So you look at some of the length of these stalactites. We're talking about stalactites here that are close to six feet in length. Um, that's sort of just under two meters, about just over a meter and a half um, if you're in uh, your metric system. So these are pretty big stalactites. These are not little fiddly things like you find on the top of bridges. These are big stalactites indeed. And you have huge great big stalactite formations which are all over the wall of the mine. Huge great big beautiful veils. You see how they all join together? Just all running down the side of the walls. And you have stalagmites. Stalactites hang down. Stalagmites stick up off the floor. They're the ones that are built up. You can see some of the malachite, the copper the copper ore uh, behind it. And then you have these rust-made, these iron-made stalagmites. Again, this was right up the top of the lead shelf, so you can't really get a perspective of size, but you're looking at something that's about five uh, feet tall. These are pretty big stalactites and stalagmites. And then you start to see evidence like this. Uh, you see the uh, electrical wiring, and you see how the stalactite formation has come down and has actually grown over the copper wire uh, and the electrical wire. Interesting. Okay. It's actually building up little stalagmites on top of it. The wire is being used as a ledge and it's completely covering and completely building up on top of it. All of this stalagmite, stalactite material. And it's the same all the way through the tunnel. It's absolutely covered. Everywhere you look, it's covered over this electrical wire. Interesting stuff. Let's see if we can get some dates for the mine and, more importantly, for the copper wire. Well, here's what it says inside the mine. Uh, notice the English section there. There are no natural caverns. 
the stalagmite, stalactite and stalagmite formations have grown since these mines were abandoned. There's approximately 850 feet of rock above, and the workings go below this level for possibly 150 feet. So in other words, these are all mines. These are not natural caverns. These have been carved out. So they can be dated. Of course, it very helpfully doesn't give us a date there. So I had to go find the curator. It's a privately owned place. He's got his own private museum with wonderful artifacts and all sorts of stuff in it. Went and found him, spoke to the curator, said, okay, can you tell me when were these mine workings abandoned? The answer, 1903. In other words, when I visited these caves, these caves were 114 years old. Ah, interesting. 114 years. And it produced these beautiful Great big stalactites and stalagmites, some of them up to eight feet tall, six foot tall, five foot tall, huge great big veils that cascade down the side of the wall, all formed in just 114 years. Not millions of years, not even thousands of years, uh, not even hundreds of years, really, 114 years. But remember that electrical wire. You see, I spoke to the curator and I said, okay, this electrical wire, when was that put in? And, and I kind of got more than I really... <laughs> bargain for because he said oh well it had clearly been a, a you know contentious issue because the mine had been first opened up to the public in the 1980s and he said with all of the new wiring and stuff that came in we had to rip out all the old stuff and we're health and safety we had to put all the new stuff in it was so expensive to get it all in but we finally did it and he finally gave me a date the new electrics were fitted in the year 2000 17 years, just 17 years to build up entire stalagmites on top of the new electrical wiring, stalactites hanging down from the electric wiring, all of that done in just 17 years. Um, we're talking about a process here. And yes, that's the key, stalactites, stalagmites, and we're going to try and delve a little bit further into what that process is later. But stalactites and stalagmite formation, it's got nothing to do with time but everything to do with a process. Okay, let's take you to Essex in the UK. Uh, there's the United Kingdom. There's Essex down there uh, near Colchester. Whoops. Wheelie Bridge in Colchester, near Colchester in Essex in the UK. We were staying here at a caravan park as a family holiday uh, quite a few years ago, seven, 2017, I think it was. Uh, and you can see this wonderful bridge. You can see my brother down there. You see, I actually ended up coming down and exploring this bridge because it had some rather interesting stalactites hanging from it. Yes, there I am looking a lot younger than I am now. Um, including this rather large stalactite hanging from a drainage pipe. Uh, quite chunky as well. It's a pretty big stalactite. It's a very thick stalactite. It's not a long, thin one. There's a lot of material there. But more importantly, we started doing some tests, making sure this is definitely calcium carbonate. We actually collected some samples. We took it back home to the lab. We did a hydrochloric acid on it. It frothed and bubbled all over the place. There's no doubt about it. This is definitely calcium carbonate, the same material that you have uh, making up cave stalactites and stalagmites. We found them in pretty much every single drainage pipe. And down on the floor, there was a little stalagmite, including this rather 
big one. Um, now, we visited this place again uh, a few years late. In fact, last year we went to visit it, and we'll show you a little video in just a moment. But this had actually grown even bigger. But look at what was getting caught up inside of it. Look at what I'm pointing to. I'm staring in the sun there, which is why I've got that funny facial expression. Can you see the leaf? Ah, we have a permineralized, fossilized leaf. And yes, we've collected samples. Yes, we've broken them open. They're not just, I mean, some of them are just covered in a thin veneer of this calcium carbonate, but some of them, such as this leaf, have become fully impregnated. They're permineralized. They're trapped. They're preserved. For every, in every sense of the word, they are fossilized. Beautiful fossil leaves. Great big detail on them. Do some tests on the leaves. Definitely calcium carbonate. You can break that up. It's penetrated all the way through. Wheelie Bridge, built in 1930. What's the maximum age for these stalactites and stalagmites? Well, you can do the maths, but let me just actually give you a Bible verse before we have a little look at uh, a video that we pulled together. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. You see, what we discovered here at Wheelie Bridge allowed us to go and do further testing, allowed us to go and do further checking. It really inspired a whole new branch of research at Jurassic Ark, something that I got to come and actually experience back in 2018 when I went to Jurassic Ark in Australia. But even better, there's some even more recent evidence that has come out of this exploring. So let me escape here. Let me bring this back up here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up a short little video. It's only about three or four minutes long, which we filmed last year at Wheelie Bridge to give you a bit of a bigger picture before we hand back to John, who's going to take the research to the next stage. So let me just pull this video up here. It should work no problem at all. Let's try it like this. Welcome to Welcome Wheelie Bridge Caravan, Caravan Park. Park. Now, I stayed with here five years ago with my family on a sort of a half-research, half-family holiday trip. I think that's part of the issue there. And we'll try play that again. Welcome to Wheelie Bridge Caravan Park. Now, I stayed with here five years ago with my family on a sort of a half-research, half-family holiday trip, and uh, we'd been driving in and out to the caravan park all week, and I'd noticed things like, well, it's called Wheelie Bridge because there's a bridge just behind us. It's the uh, railway bridge because there's a station just over there for Wheelie Village. And we'd been driving in and out and in and out, and then one day, as we were driving underneath this bridge over here, I looked up and shouted, STOP! and Dad jumped out of his skin and I had to peel him from the ceiling and tell him it's all right, there wasn't a major problem. I'd noticed something hanging from the bridge. Some stalactites, to be uh, completely honest with you. I mean, if you come have a look over here, you can see the bridge. This bridge was part of the station. It was built in 1866. I came here five years ago, and I noticed some stalactites. Now, one thing you know for sure, if you look up the secular definition of stalactites, or you look up some secular research, then stalactites are supposed to take hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years to actually form. In fact, many people and critics of the Bible have actually used this as one of the biggest evidences against young earth creation and the Bible being true. And yet here on this bridge, just 150 years old when I first came here, 155 years old now, up here you can see some beautiful stalactites. 
there they are, the ones that I first spotted coming under the bridge and shouted about because I was so excited. Yes, people like me and John Mackay love geological things and we love Titan and mites because when I first spotted these, we were right at the beginning of our Titan mite journey. I mean, creation research has been involved in doing experiments with caves, experiments with limestone, experiments with stalactites and stalagmites for many years now. But way back at the beginning, we were all excited and we'd just noticed these and it was absolutely fantastic. A bridge, only 150 50 years old with stalactites growing out of them and that makes one very important point. Stalactite formation has got nothing to do with time but everything to do with the process. But you know, since then we've found much better stalactites than that. I mean they're pretty little ones, they're pretty boring, but actually as I began to look closer at the bridge I noticed a very special and very important extra little detail which sparked a whole new branch of research uh, that we've been doing around the world and that has everything to do with inside the tunnel so I'm gonna head in inside now and here it is uh, a bit wet in here but just up there look at that wonderful chunky stalactite coming out of the drainage pipes from the top of the railway tracks. I mean, it's a big chunky one. Normally these bridge tights, as we call them, are long and thin and slender, but this is big, it's chunky, it's got a lot of substance to it. In fact, this is one of the biggest and chunkiest bridge tights that we'd actually ever seen. And it makes that very important point. If you want to get a stalactite of that size, you need to have the right process. It's got nothing to do with time. And if you want to make a stalactite of that size in just 100, 150 years, you need to have the right process. The right process that can make it happen very, very quickly indeed. You don't need millions of years. But it made another interesting point because what you've actually got here is these are the drainage pipes which collect all of the sludge and all of the gunk and all of the messy oozy stuff from the top of the train tracks and brings it down and dumps it into this sort of river down here. It's the drainage pipes when it rains and it collects all of that mulch. Now we've been trying experiments at this point for the last two years at Creation Research and we'd realised that mulch and bacteria and microbial stuff has actually got something very important to do with producing stalactites of this quality and of this speed and so we actually were able to take this and began doing some more experiments with creation research but the real thing which sparked everything else was not what was growing up there but what was actually happening right down there now just look at this fabulous stalagmite Tights hang down, mites come up. And this is huge, it's a good five, six feet across. It's pretty deep and thick as well. And it's got this beautiful rock solid calcium carbonate limestone stalagmite. As it's being dripped down and it's running down, it's producing this beautiful deep rich colors. But also something else important. Have a look at what is going on up the back here. I mean, can you see where the leaves have blown into this area and they've got caught up and they're now absolutely rock solid. These are petrified leaves. For all intents and purposes, they are fossils. They have been completely engulfed, completely impenetrated and completely turned into stone, preserved in the limestone. These are per-mineralized leaves. The same kind of fossilization process that happens with things like dinosaur bones and other fossil leaves that we find all around the world. So first point, 
if you want to get this, you need the right process. But does that process happen quickly? Does that process take millions of years? Well, we know for sure the fact that you've got leaves here means that these leaves were buried and trapped and preserved before they had time to rot and decay. I mean, you've got loads of gunk and mulch and rotting leaves all around us here, and you have to have the right process in order to trap it. But one other thing, if you want to actually trap these leaves, they get blown into this tunnel and they need to be trapped and begun the fossilization process before they blow back out again. Ah, the right process has to be quick if you want to end up with fossil leaves. In fact, we were actually able to duplicate this research over in Australia and actually make our own leaf fossil making machine using our stalactite and stalagmite machines over there. So let's head over to Australia now uh, to Jurassic Arc as we join John Mackay talking to us a little bit more about some of his experiments. So there we go. Let me unmute everybody so that they can all uh, speak. There you go, John. Okay, now that's good. Now, Joe, uh, great stuff there. And uh, we are going to Jurassic Arc. And for those of you who live in Australia, like George Bond and some of the others, make sure you get up here. Now that all the mandates have been lifted, good news. Um, there's at least a 1,000 teachers who might have a job back if they want it now. I talked to one of them yesterday. He said, I don't even want that job back now. Pesky kids. Uh, you know, overseers who have got so, so power hungry. But anyway, one of the things that they can do is bring their schools to Jurassic Arc unhindered, which is re really, really great. So if you want to come to Jurassic Arc, it's just two hours north of the Brisbane airport, a great place where we found all sorts of fossils, uh, Jurassic fossils, and uh, we dig them up. You get a chance to dig them up as well. Great day out. And don't miss September the 24th, which is our first open day really in three years. Last year we tried to have one that was only 30 people allowed. Now we can have any numbers we want. So come and join us. Now, Joe, you'll have to again remind me, short-term memory loss, etc. Yeah. Which ones do we press here? Hover over your PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, done. Uh, icon, go all the way over to your full-screen PowerPoint presentation and click on that. Done. And then you should be able to start scrolling through it. Good. See how quickly I master these things? Oh, yes. um, all right. As a result of what Joe sent uh, us information-wise, as a result of pictures, as a result of the fact that I now have some of these fossil leaves in our collection, and thank you to those of you who support the cost of getting fossil leaves from England to Australia, um, in August 2016, we decided, having heard what Joseph had come across, to adapt our second stalactite machine to make fossil leaves. Uh, you see, we have a pretend cave here. We have the stalactite source, the lime source at the top, same as previously, slightly different mix to see what the result would be. But we put in a drip tray, okay? You see the drip tray? Like the water running down along the floor of a cave. So the water would drip down. Let's show you roughly how it works. There's our workers there putting it together, uh, all sorts of help as the Lord has provided for us. So all of this does involve costs. Thank you for those of you who send uh, super chats in. Uh, all the more, the better. It helps us cover all these costs. We are going to have an open day uh, at, in September, so come and join us. But here's some of the results. Uh, recording this can be a pain. And then you've got to file it. And then you've got to date it. Then you, well, here we are back in 2016 on the third of the seventh month, and you'll see a stalactite has started to form on our drip rope, I guess. Close up. Can you see the beautiful crystals forming? 
I mean, one reason we know this is calcium carbonate is the crystal form is right. Yes, we've had it x-rayed. We've had it all those sort of things. We are not just making lime uh, powder dripping onto the surface of these things. By the time you get to the seventh month, the 16th of the 16th to 22nd, you have fairly significant stalactites. You also get some interesting pictures of, I mean, look at that. The water tension on the surface of the water drop means the outside uh, holds less evenly than the inside. So it actually forms a drip which has got a curtain of water around the outside. Oh, that's one reason why it forms hollow tubes. Can you see the hollow tube of water? It's how the water actually functions. It functions in layers even when it drips. Oh, but that's another experiment on the static uh, strata machine. Okay, one of the things we are doing is collecting agar, you know, the, the agar gel that you get and you use for growing bacteria and all of that. We were out to hunt down the bacteria that were associated with this. And out of the mulch, there's heaps of bacteria types. And what's interesting is, having talked to one of the professors at St Andrews and taken all this research to him, he said, well, we've got one bacteria that actually produces a super strong uh, acid as a result of one of the enzymes that's involved in it. Now, you know, our normal acid formula, um, range rather, our pH meter from zero all the way through to 14, the lower numbers are strong acids, which would dissolve limestone, such as we have in this, this tray thing. But he said, this enzyme actually produces an acid that's got a pH of minus two. Oh, and I asked him, do you think that could eat out caves quickly? He said it can dissolve mountains of limestone, basically, if you had enough of it. You want to pursue that, you can do it in question talk. Well, there we are by the 22nd of the 7th, 2016. You see the drips on the bottom? That was what we set out to do first. The white spots, we were going to just make another copy of our stalactite machine. Then Joseph goes ahead and finds Wheelie Bridge. So we change the machine. Uh, there's the bottom of the tray running down onto the board and so we deliberately cheat we throw some leaves in i mean joseph's leaves weren't thrown in they blew in well we started to get some lime powder it seemed forming see the frothing bubbles there but we had a bit of trouble with some of our leaves yes you'll notice that we've got an extra leaf there that we've cheated by putting in and then we had some windy days and the trouble is the leaves just blew away the drips come down deliberately on the top of them, but it didn't seem like our leaves were going to stay at all. By the time we get to the 2nd of the 7th, 2017, a year later, do you see the stalagmite starting to form where that drip hit the ground? It's like a little volcano, a cavity. And can you see there's some leaves around the place? Now, we didn't cheat anymore. We discovered it was worthless because the leaves that blew in in between the wind stopping and the next wind starting, the actual limestone that was forming coming out of the top from the stalactite dripping onto the stalagmite would actually trap the leaf all by itself. Hence, we ended up with another theory. The stuff that's coming out of the stalactite is automatically sticky. But then that's what limestone means, the glue stone. Yes, it really does. Limbs, the old word for glue. This stone sticks, and that's why you get fossil insects trapped in it. That's why you get bats stuck overnight. This is sticky stone. 
Well, there's our principle again, drip ropes coming down. But then when we put our, our um, you know, our orange tube there, look what happened. We didn't throw these, we didn't put these leaves in, they blew in. We've got limestone building up. We've got a leaf already trapped. We didn't bother cheating anymore. It just stuck itself. And boy, do we get some pretty results. But look, it's only one year at the most since we started this, the 9th of June, 2017. And the leaves have come in and they're already stuck. They didn't need to be cheated. Hey, we know now how Joseph's leaves got under Wheelie Bridge. They blew in, in between the drips, in between the, the wind coming in and stopping the limestone, the sticky limestone coming out of the bridge concrete actually glued them. Look at that. 9th to 6, 2017, the leaves gone hard. It's permineralized. That's a big word that Joseph used. The leaf is still a leaf at the top where it wasn't dripped on, but at the bottom, it's already beginning to disappear, which brings us up to the present. We decided to really check. A young pastor contacted us and said, listen, I've got a skeptic who says the world is too old. Um, the Bible can't be true. Same logic my professor used. Same logic the professor in the debate used. And uh, he, he contacted and said, have you got any fossils that have happened quickly at Jurassic Ark? I thought, well, we've never bothered to break the rock open here. So December 2019, uh, not too long on, we went and we checked. And then in June 2022, which is just last week, right, we thought, let's break open the rock. The pastor asked us the week before, let's see what's in it. This is at the bottom of the tray sloping down can you see what's at the top take a bit closer there's a leaf fully permineralized there's the leaf with iron now in the veins because there's iron in the in the water coming from the dam there's iron in the cement around the actual uh, uh, tray itself and it comes through with the water and so do your bacteria and they produce this fantastic dissolver of lime you know, the one with the minus 2 pH dissolves just about anything. And you might have noticed, too, that stalactites are smaller than stalagmites. So the lime coming out of the bridge has a short term to drop off, but then at the bottom, the rest of the lime comes out. So it's 90 to 98% more limestone forms in the stalagmite. No wonder they're all much bigger. Well, there it is in sequence. August 2016, we built the, the machine. By the time we get to the end of the year, Joseph has made his finds and, and we are beginning to concentrate on this. Then from where the arrow is, down the orange tube, that's where we took the specimen at the bottom from. And by the time we break it open, investigate it, we have our fossil tree. So we have a specimen this for the young pastor because we can prove it wasn't there in January 2016. It wasn't there in even September 2016, we showed you the photographs, right? This is now there. So in less than six years, oh, now that's an enormous amount of time. It's not actually compared to how long most people think these leaves take. But then again, you saw the leaves were already fossilizing through that piece of lime in uh, 2017, 2020. Um, there's heaps more leaves here. We can only afford to give the young pastor a little bit of this because we want the rest for the folks who come to Jurassic Ark. I'll remind you of Joseph's Bridge, 
Remember, he took you through the, the video. Great video, Joe, to remind us of what you did there. There's his big stalagmite. Ours will eventually get there. Look, he found the leaves. There's young Joe years ago. Yes, but he had to. And look what's there. The leaf is there. Uh, there's what Joseph made. The maximum time you could take there is 86 years. But then the leaf didn't, the, the bridge didn't leak then. Our stalactite, the maximum time it took to form fossil leaves in the stalagmite below was six years. No, it was actually less than that because we photographed it every year during that time. Six years maximum, but then it was there one year after the actual stalagmite began to form. It's not time, it's process. Remember the point we made? This issue is controversial. This issue is provocative, and we've got years more research that really make for incredible stuff, much more than when we did the book Stalactite and Stalagmites. Sam will hold that up when I finish this little unit because you can get that from every uh, creation research office. When time is the hero of the plot, the world says God is out. But it means one more thing. When God is the maker, time is out and process is in. Uh, God didn't need more than six days because he had the right process. In fact, let me be biblically blunt. He didn't even need six days. He had a reason for taking that long. Uh, but that's what we're going to come back to. So, Joe, tell me how to get out of this, and then I'll save that for the uh, end process. Now, what do we have to do here? Just remember you press your Windows key, and then you yep. click on your browser, and that'll bring it back to us. That's good. Look All right, there. so you're back. Good. So we've covered a huge amount of content so far, right? We remember where we started. We started with John in his childhood days observing this. We looked at what the atheists promote and the anti-creationists promote, right? Stalactites, stalagmites take vast periods of time. We've looked at practical examples which show that that is simply not true. Saigon Copper Mines. We've looked at the Church Canal, uh, not yet, so we've looked at the uh, Wheelie Bridge uh, stalactites. We've also looked at these machines that John has made a way of actually creating these stalactites and stalagmites in a very short space of time. In fact, you can even create fossils out of them in a very short space of time. So what we're going to do now are two more sections, or three more sections technically, and then we'll hopefully have a few minutes for questions. The first thing you want to do is, how would you be able to replicate these machines yourself if you wanted to do so. And we're going to go and speak to Craig about that. And then me and Diane are going to have a little bit of a chat because I just mentioned it a second ago, Church Canal Tunnel. Um, I took Diane there when she was over here in the UK the other day, and we went and had a look at some of the evidence of that shows. And then I'm going to show one final little video, which me and John made a, a few years back, which will bring all this together, tie it all together, and show you a little sneak peek at some of the chemical testing we did to show for once and for all that these bridge tights, these stalactites and stalagmites, which we've observed happening quickly, are exactly identical to the ones that you find in the deep caves that are supposed to be taking vast periods of time. And then to finish off, we'll hand back to John for a quick little wrap up and we'll deal with some questions. Does that sound like a plan, everyone? Can Great. I make a suggestion, Joe? Can we do the questions before you get to my wrap-up absolutely fine no problem at all yeah all right so 
Craig, um, over to you. Just remind everybody uh, what you're doing down in Tasmania with your museum. And in particular, what would people need to do if they wanted to make a stalactite machine of their own? Because I, I've been to your museum a few years ago now. I, I, I understand that it's changed and updated a lot since then. Um, but I'll pull up some slides that you've sent me. Just give us a bit of a background to your museum and then let us know about this stalactite machine. Yeah, great, Joe. Thanks very much. And uh, that's been fantastic so far this morning uh, from John and Joe. So, uh, yeah, thanks for that. The uh, first slide I've got there, Joe, is is actually on the same topic, really just backs up what, what you're saying, uh, what you've been saying. That's a stalactite that was given to us by one of our supporters from a uh, electricity plant power station just near us. And these guys worked there and they found this growing on a steel ladder that was in a sump that was um, drain, draining from the site. The water was flowing across the site, draining into this sump, uh, dripping over the ladder. And they said that that stalactite, which is about 25 centimetres or 10 inches, uh, couldn't have been any older than about 14 months. Now, the site... Uh, had a lot of sand brought in, uh, hundreds or, or even thousands of tonnes of sand mixed with a 3% cement mix, and water was just flowing across that and dripping over the ladder. So that's just another example of the evidence, I guess. So we, uh, um, if you want to go to the next slide, we've built our own little stalactite generator as well, um, which Joe will pull up there. That's just ours. And you really can do it yourself if you want to do some of this. We just uh, went off the principles that uh, John and Joe have been talking about. And uh, we started ours about a year and a half ago now. And it's actually, if the next slide, Joe, it's actually forming more of a stalic mite than a stalic tight. You can see the one in the background was the first one that we tried. That was about six months old and longer but now we've got the drip perhaps going a bit too fast you can see that with the wick just at the bottom of the barrel and then the stalactite forming i don't have a picture there of the stalactite but that's that's uh, quite a lot bigger and the next slide is for anyone that wants to do this so we just got a, a 200 liter drum cut it in half and filled it with that order of things so we got shells from a, a nearby abalone farm just crush them up with a mallet put some vegetation over the top a thin layer of cement the wick went through and we we keep topping up the barrel with water as need needs be and we're forming those stalactites so try it at home there, there's the the diagram have, have a go at it it's um it's it's a lot of fun it's great stuff and of course this is something that we want to replicate um in our uh, museum project here in the UK. It's something that's very easy to make. It's something that's almost portable, really, in its uh, in its design. So, um, yeah, keep praying. Uh, go and see Craig's. Go and see John's. Come and see ours when we've got up, ours up and running. So this is a real practical thing which you can do as well. Uh, it's a real practical design to be able to uh, show and really uh, get rid of that um, millions of years philosophy very, very effectively. So, Diane. 
let's uh, have a bit of a chat because you were over here in the UK recently, as everybody knows, and I took you to see Church Canal Tunnel. And in fact, we had to cross the border, didn't we? <laughs> yes, yes, it was a, a great international expedition uh, <laughs> into the wilds of Wales. Indeed. Yes, yeah, it literally the the river that cuts sort of England and Wales in half of that area um, is uh, that's basically where the canal goes through. So. We took you there to Chirk Canal and uh, we went down. You saw all of the wonderful stalactite formations that were growing on the side of it. Um, in fact, I've actually got a, a little example of it here that we've collected in the past. Uh, you can see it's kind of all blackened from all of the soot because, in fact, did, you, did we see any uh, barges go through? I can't remember. Oh, quite a few, actually. Quite a few, was it? Yeah, okay. It's quite fascinating to watch them yeah. go through, yes. Mm. The big canal boats and the barges mm. as they drive through. So, yeah. obviously, they should have got, I mean, in the past, they'd have had, uh, you know, a, a donkey to kind of, or a little pony to pull them along. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that is if the pony could get down into the canal tunnel, because mm. if you couldn't get a pony down there, somebody would jump out, take the pony over the top, and everybody would lie down on the top of the barges and push it along with their feet as they go through the tunnel. All right, so uh, interesting, but you can see this wonderful mm. almost stalactite type growth that's growing out. In fact, you've even got sideways stalactites. Now, first of all, we need to do our visual check. This is one from the stalactite, um, the stalactite from the Church Canal Tunnel. This is a stalactite from Poland. Um, and can you see this edge along here with them sticking out to the side? In fact, put them up side by side together. And you can see it's almost identical. You've got the same type of formation. And this is hard, by the way. This is sometimes these bridge stalactites, which you see hanging down. They're flimsy little fragile things. This is pretty solid. Um, there's no denying that this is a solid bit of calcium carbonate. And even the picture looks pretty much the same. Um, so it's hard stuff. You came to see it. You came to... Uh, to show some of this stuff. So that was really, really, really fascinating. And in fact, canal tunnels are a great place to actually go and see evidence of this. So before we show you our little video, which kind of wraps this all together, um, Sam, I believe you've got some examples of stuff that's local to you as well. But you took yes. So why don't you pull up those slides and just give us a little example of a canal tunnel from your neck of the woods? Yeah, certainly. Okay, so let me just pull up these slides here. Uh, so just give me two seconds. There we go. Right, so that should be on the screen, lovely jubbly. So this yeah. is uh, the Duddy Canal stalactites. Um, Duddy Canal is uh, fairly famous. Um, it was instrumental in the uh, Industrial Revolution for transporting steel um, and heavy materials. Uh, they were, the barges were arranged in such a way that they could carry lots and lots of material um, with a fairly minimal uh, water displacement, so it wouldn't sink. Uh, so it was ideal for fueling the Industrial Revolution. Um, so if I just fast forward here, so this is the Netherton Tunnel, uh, and uh, this down here is the uh, the Dudley Canal. Uh, this is a close-up of the sign on the left-hand side. So this was um, reopened um, for actual for navigation by uh, Sir Frank Price on the seventeenth of April, nineteen eighty-four. So this canal was full, was renovated and and made safe to use again. Um, and keep that in mind for later on. So this is the inside of the tunnel. Um, it's unless you've got a very powerful uh, light, uh, it's completely pitch black. Uh, there's no lights on the side whatsoever. So you really do need to watch your footing if you're going to go. Um, but these are some of the pictures of some of the bridges. Now, 
over the top of this bridge here is actually a canal that runs down. Um, it's fairly thin, but there is enough here to actually form some stalagmites. Um, so if we've got some uh, little bits here, uh, might be able to zoom in a little bit, uh, possible. There we go. There we go. So you can see you've got some vegetation here um, and you've got some little tiny wisps forming here as well. Um, and then if I can, there we go. So this is a good shot um, of just how uh, deep the canal runs. Uh, and you can see these little uh, uh, these little um, projections out from the brickwork here. Um, and they all form in amongst the, uh, the lines here from the brick, which is obviously where the cement goes. Uh, this is a, a, some close-ups. So on the uh, left-hand side here, we've got a, a calcium deposit that's formed. It's a bit of a better shot there. Uh, and here, you might be able to see a little bit of a nubby thing uh, coming off. So this is a close-up of that nubby thing. <coughs> you should be able to see a nice bit of uh, calcium uh, deposition there and also a semi-formed uh, calcium deposit here as well. Um, and these are some uh, other shots of the, uh, the deposits that are forming underneath the canal um again got some lovely pictures here and uh, that's another sort of close-up image there and you can find out more information about uh, canal tunnels and uh, caves and things like that all all, all things tight smites and fossil fights in the book tight smites and fossil fights uh, available now uh, you can get it at the creation research store wherever you are around the world and so that's me done there we go Great stuff. Thanks, Sam. All right, let's show a little video. It's about 10 minutes long, but it'll give you a really great picture. It'll wrap all this up together and give you a little bit of a look at some of the uh, chemical side of things. And then to finish up, we'll do a few questions and hand over to John to conclude our evening. So let's put this up now. G'day, g'day, g'day from the creation guy, John Mackay, and I'm here with my creation colleague, Joseph. Hello. And we've got a mystery for you today, and it's to do with the stones, the gravel that's here, and the trees in the forest, and behind me, there's a canal. But first of all, Joseph, we'd better tell them where we are. We are at Chirk in Wales, and it's even spelt real funny as well. It's spelt C-H-I-R-K. But that's not the mystery, but you'd still better tell us how come it's church. What does it mean? It simply means a place where somebody went to a church. So we're here in Wales. We've got stones on the ground, lots of gravel through the hill, forest on this side, and a canal behind us, and a real mystery to solve. Follow us down the hill. Now, Joseph, we're down here by the church canal. The ducks are enjoying the water. And this is where the mystery starts. It really does. Do you think? Right, well, what I have with me here is a pH tester. Now, pH stands for power of hydrogen. What it really does is measure the acidity or how alkaline different substances are, like water, like the water here outside in the canal. So what we're going to do, we're going to use this little machine to be able to measure the pH and how alkaline or how acidic this water is. There we go. Just take a measurement. There we go, 8.72. Now that is far higher than canal water should be. Okay, Joseph, time for a second check. 
8.72 for Absolutely, sure. Absolutely, definitely. Listen, there's the tunnel. There the rest is. of the mystery. Been here for a couple of hundred years. There's indeed. Let's okay. go find out. go all the way through. There's five layers of bricks held together by cement put here several hundred years ago and up the top there's little stalactites. But as you just get in there's what looked like cave growths. But then they stop halfway along. Mystery. Now Joseph's gonna check the pH all the way along see if we can solve what's happening here. Let's go and check down here. Okay, take the pH down here. There we go. 8.29 So now we've taken the pH of the canal water we're going to find out what the pH of the drip water from all of these stalactites that are running down the cave walls. So here we've been collecting the dripping water from the cave type growths. Um, now we're going to take the pH. So we're going to come down here that's with our pH meter and there you go 8.63 now we're in a dark cave, so Joseph, lights please. You see up on the top we've got stalactites, we've got cave-like growths, but are they the same as in caves? In the caves they supposedly take vast ages. At the most these are 200 years old. So are they made of the same material? Let's get Joseph to run a test. So the question we're asking is, are these cave type formations the same as the ones found in caves? And you see the mineral that cave stalactites are made from is called calcium carbonate. And there's a very simple chemical test to find out if they are the same. What you do is you get hydrochloric acid. You put a few drops onto your formation and if there's calcium carbonate in it, it'll froth and bubble all over the place. So let's do that test now and find out are these exactly the same? Well here is our hydrochloric acid. We get our little bit on there, and there you go. You can see it froths and bubbles all over the place. Completely and provably calcium carbonate. Exactly the same as what is found in caves. So here we have one of the natural springs coming out of the side of the tunnel here. We've just taken a pH measurement for it. There it is there, 7.97. And the highest we found all the way down this tunnel is 8.9, which tells you one very important thing. The calcium the carbonate, which is making these limestones, is not coming from the cement. But where is it coming from? What is the real clue to our mystery here? So here we are at the end of Chirp Canal Tunnel. Now one thing you will notice immediately is all those lovely limestone formations that we had down at that end of the tunnel have almost completely disappeared at this end. There were none of those lovely veils and limestone formations here at all. What is going on? And what is the solution to this great mystery? And more importantly, what has this actually got to do with anything that's important? What is the relevance of this? Well, you see, us at Creation Research have had the opportunity to debate many atheists over the years. And one of the most interesting comments we get from them is that there is no evidence for evolution in any of the fossils, but the Earth is so old, evolution must have happened. 
and one of the biggest evidences that is used for an old earth is that stalactites and stalagmites take hundreds of thousands or millions of years to form. Therefore the Bible simply cannot be true. But here at Chirk Tunnel, that is really challenging that. But is there a way that we can conclusively prove that these tights and mites here at Chirk Canal Tunnel are exactly the same as the ones in the caves? And what are some of the experiments that we can really do? What is the solution? John, over to you. Now, over there is England, and over here is Wales, and this is the famous Chirk Canal Tunnel, uh, built in the early 1800s by brilliant engineer Thomas Telford, and uh, does it imitate a cave? Because man-made structures with cement stalactites are regarded as, well, they happen too fast. They're not exactly the same as caves. How could we prove this is a great replication and wonderful evidence things happen much faster than people think? Now, here we are with our man-made cave. But how much does it represent a real cave? Because the stalactites here and the stalagmites grow really quickly. In a, in a limestone cave, they're supposed to grow really slowly. The cement here, we put it here 200 years ago. Or it does look like a cave. It does, it's always dark. The locals tell us it's always moist. It's always cool. In fact, it's pretty still because Thomas Telford actually designed his tunnels to minimize the wind. Clever engineer. But have you noticed, as we've gone through, we've measured the pH, the acidity, or the alkalinity? Now, Joseph's going to do an experiment shortly in which we'll show you what happens with cement today. And then remember, this was put together with cement. And the pH is a clue. In fact, what is the pH in real caves? And how does it affect things? Um, Joseph, back to you. So we've come here to our back garden to do a little experiment. You see, what we've got here is some modern cement. The same kind of cement that was used back at Chirk Canal Tunnel. But we're going to do a pH test and find out what the pH of this cement is compared to the pH of the cement that we took back in the tunnel. So we're going to get a little bit of our cement. Like that. A little bit of water. And then we mix it up together. So what we're doing here, we're going to make ourselves some mixed up cement, the same kind of stuff that was used back in the tunnel, and we're going to see what the pH measurements are. Because if you remember back in the tunnel, the pH measurements were somewhere between 8.2 and 8.9, um, just like the ones in the caves. But let's see what this cement comes up as, this fresh, brand new cement that we've literally just mixed up. There we go, all lovely and mixed, we've got our pH tester here, turn it on, pop it in, and there you go. You can see that it is over 15, way higher than at Chirk Canal Tunnel and way higher than in any cave around the world. You see, this cement, this fresh cement, has got a really, really high pH measurement unlike Chirk Canal Tunnel. Now what that means is that the cement that was used in Chirk Canal Tunnel has turned back into limestone, calcium carbonate, exactly the same as all the caves around the world. The pH tells you that. The fact that the fresh cement is really high and the old cement has changed. The pH is low. So it's changed back into limestone. It's exactly the same as all the caves. So let's go back to Chirk Canal Tunnel and find out the one last piece to the puzzle. 
Have you noticed that Joseph in his modern cement experiment got a pH higher than 10? You can even get them as high as 14. And all modern cement buildings or cement bridges will grow stalactites and they definitely and provably have a high pH. But our cave here, or our man-made tunnel actually, it had a pH from 8.9 down to 7.2, exactly the same as you got in limestone caves. What's the mystery? Well, the fact is, the cement that was put in here 200 years ago has rechanged back to calcium carbonate limestone, just like in the limestone caves. You don't need millions of years to make stalactites. You need the right process, and this man-made cave is showing you. You don't need time. When you've got the right process, they can happen really quickly. But what does it matter, Joseph? Well, you remember that point we made earlier. The atheist professors that we debate say that there is no evidence for evolution in any of the fossils. But the Earth is so old, evolution has to be true. But that is complete rubbish. We've just shown that here. The idea that stalactites, stalagmites and limestone calcium carbonate formations take hundreds of thousands or millions of years to form is complete rubbish. We've seen it happening in experiments all around the globe. Not just here, but in the United States and also in John's home country in Australia. Real experiments being run on stalactites, stalagmites, calcium carbonate and limestone formations. It's all about the right process. Get the right process, it happens very quickly. Get the wrong process, it doesn't happen at all, or you take millions of years to do it. Um, if you want to find out more about these experiments that have been going on around the globe, go to www.creationresearch.net. But you see, there is one final piece of the puzzle. And to explore that, back to you, John. Did you notice we're in total forest at this end? At this end is where all the stalactites and stalagmites and cave formations are. It's been cleared above us halfway across, and at that end, there's hardly any stalagmites and stalactites and cave formations at all. You see, one of the things that's becoming really clear is it's not just the chemistry of calcium hydroxide, it's not just the chemistry of calcium carbonate, it's not just CO2 and water, there's actual biological factors that make it go even faster. I mean, you have bacteria in your gut. We have bacteria that actually absorb calcium carbonate and use it for building. And what you find here is the mulch, the bacteria, are actually speeding up the whole of this. Um, in other words, you've got the wrong process, you need the right bacteria if you want to make it happen really quickly, and that's what's happening here. And in fact, in the caves around the world, more and more we're beginning to discover it's not just the water, it's not just the mineral, it's the bacteria that are speeding things up. You can get rid of your millions of years. In fact, there's nothing contradicting 6,000 years, six days of creation. Not at all, all not at all. Go for more to www.creationresearch.net. There we go. Let's get rid of that there. So that should hopefully have wrapped a lot of stuff together for you and helped giving you the big picture and the big idea 
of what was going on. Little side note, the Sarah Ann Bird there is now my wife, who's a Sarah Ann Hubbard. And this was the one of the first projects that we worked on together. In fact, I think it was the third project we'd worked on together uh, in the grand scheme of things. So um, it'd be blessed at that. And that actually, the whole thing is available on our YouTube channel to go and watch anyway. So do go and do that. Okay, we have about 15 uh, to 20 minutes left or so. Let's do a few questions before we hand over to John to wrap up. <clears throat> John, just for reference, how many minutes do you need to do your little ending bit? Oh, only three or four, that's all. Fine, no problem. All right, let's do a little 15 minutes or so of questions and hand over to, to John. So, Sam, where are we at with the questions? Okay, okay. Um, well, we've got um, a super chat come in. I can't i'll do shall i just do super chats at the end you you could i mean up to you do 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 it now if they're here if you've got them okay um so we've got doki doki has done a stupid sticker for 149 us buckaroos three red hearts of differing sizes nice to know being all inclusive with that uh love for everyone and all that jazz uh george bond super chat 20 aussie buckaroos sounds like a great topic to present on the sft channel uh, I'm sure we can probably yes. arrange something. Definitely. Uh, right. Okay. So first question comes from George Bond. Uh, it says, hey, Craig, have you been to the Tassie Caves near Sheffield? Yeah, I, I guess you're talking about the ones at Mile Creek, which is just a little bit um, uh, away from Sheffield there, 20 minutes from Sheffield. Uh, King Solomon's Cave, I think, Maricopa Cave, fantastic caves. Got all those ingredients there that we've been talking about. Lots of water, lots of limestone, and lots of vegetation around as well in the forest there and some fantastic uh, cave formations. Of course, what's interesting is in the original Sheffield, that's our Sheffield, not the Tasmanian Sheffield, uh, you're right next to the Peak District. And around the Peak District, there are also lots of caves. Um, in fact, around the Peak District, there's another place called... Um, uh, Harper Hill, which John discovered uh, many years back, and we've done lots of projects there, and there's a whole uh, Rocks Cry Out project there, um, and I lead a lot of field trips there, so if you're in the area, uh, come and uh, join on one of our field trips to there as well, it's uh, it's great fun, and of course, and if you're uh, over in... Sorry. I was going to say, and, if you're and, over in Tasmania, go yeah. go see Craig in the, the second Sheffield's caves. Yeah, so <laughs> the Sheffield. you, uh, <laughs> if you don't know where Sheffield is, it's on the northern northern coast uh, of Tasmania, uh, just near the edge of the coast. And it's also, I believe, got beautiful murals all through town. That's correct, Craig? Yeah, beautiful creations all over the walls of people's buildings, yeah. In the fact, John, I believe that you, you took me there. And I think, didn't we go down into a cave down that way? Um, one yeah. of your supporters' farms? Yeah, we saw some great stuff in there. It's good stuff. All right, next question, Sam. Okie dokie. Next question comes from Shogiwa. And he says, uh, do you ever find stalagmites that don't have stalactites above them? Um, I'll give one quick answer to that. And my answer is the faster the water is coming from the top of the cave, the more you're only liable to find a stalagmite, right? So the slow drips have plenty of time to lose carbon dioxide, which is important in the mix, and deposit that weeny teeny amount 
of uh, limestone or calcium carbonate. If the water's coming through fast and will be trapped at the bottom, sometimes you'll even end up with the stalagmites growing underwater. Uh, you get limestone pearls and all sorts of things under the water even. So uh, that is the one circumstance I found with almost no stalactites, but plenty of stalagmite. And a good example of that, if you think back to the um, Wheelie Bridge, right, you've got a very chunky but not particularly long stalag uh, stalactite. However, down on the floor, you've got a stalagmite, which is about five foot across and about two foot deep. So it's a lot, lot bigger, right? Because most of your material is dripping down and it's um, uh, kind of covering the covering the ground and that's where it's building up in layers, really. Uh, right. Joseph, um, if we if we ever do this program again for um, SFT, remember the crystals we found uh, growing in in the in the cave wall formation. Yeah. So that the limestone, uh, in the original calcium hydroxide in the cement, yeah. had actually converted back to calcium carbonate crystals. Yeah. Right. So not only is it a chemical test, not only is it a pH test, it's a visual it's test of crystal yeah. formation. But we didn't have those photographs done until no. after we did that video. No, I think we should definitely um, do uh, do something with SFT at some point for sure. I think it'll be a great great topic to go into depth in, maybe even a two parter. So, all right. Uh, any other questions coming up, Sam? Uh, yes, yes, we do. Uh, one last thing before I move on to the last question here, uh, Brother Timothy has sent in ten U.S. buckaroos. God very bless, much. brothers and sister. Thank you so much. Brother Timothy, your support is greatly appreciated. Uh, and last question on the topic has come from Shokuar again. Uh, secular scientists make a distinction between permineralization and fossil fossilization. Is there a difference? Okay, I'll comment first as the oldest, closest to fossilization myself, and then Joseph can comment as well. Um, it's quite amazing the straw splitting to avoid the obvious truth in this. If you go and you come with me on a dinosaur dig, you will find dinosaur bones that are completely unfossilized, right? In other words, they have almost nothing that you would consider as a fossil except that they are simply bone. Well, they were already a fossil while the animal was growing, right? Your teeth don't really need to be permineralized or fossilized or petrified. They already are, right? That's why they preserve so well. Diane might want to comment on that in a moment. But in reality, when you sometimes find dinosaur bones, they are a little heavier, or buffalo bones that I've found, or kangaroo bones, they've absorbed water with minerals in it into the spaces. Now, at that point, the bone, which is already calcium orthophosphate, it's a rock by itself, is actually soaking up another mineral that fills in the spaces. And when it finally fills up all the spaces, the ordinary person says it's fossilized. No, it isn't. It was already fossil when it was in the animal itself. It's already a, a growing stone. Now it's stopped growing and then it starts again. So you'll find that with uh, materials that actually are not stone like trees, right? you get the tree preserved, uh, it's buried quickly, no ability to rot, but then the minerals come in and they'll run through the tree. The tree already has a distribution system in life it functions by absorbing calcium, by absorbing silica. If it gets a lot of silica in the water, it will come through and you'll get a silica copy. 
of the inside of the tree and sometimes you get a total mineral copy of the whole tree. Now, there is very little difference between the actual creature and the, the final end product. It's a question of grading, but it's always a fossil if it was buried quickly and it's preserved, right? So it's not the presence of the mineral that does that. It's actually how well preserved it is, no matter what's in it. So an elephant buried in the muck in Alaska is just as much a fossil as a tree turned to stone. So please don't use that fudge line uh, with uh, proper arguments or proper evidence. Joe, what do you want to comment What you'll on? find, as soon as you hold up a petrified teddy bear, that's what they're called uh, from, um, if you go to Mother Shipton's Cave in Yorkshire, uh, they have these teddy bears which are preserved in stone, right? And they call them petrified teddy bears. And if you show this as evidence of rapid fossilization, the secular scientists will jump on it and say, that's not petrified, that's not fossilized. You know, it's not even petrified technically, it's permineralized. Right? And they use a big technical word in order to try and discredit the concept of it being fossilized. The reality is it's not petrification. They're absolutely right. Petrification is turned to stone. Permineralization is when minerals have permeated the bone, infilled and entrapped and encased the material, whatever it is, organic or not, and has preserved it within that stone. So, yes, technically, the process which preserved these teddy bears is permineralization, the same process that preserved the leaves both in uh, John's machine and in the Wheelie Bridge ones that we found. The process is permineralization. Are they a fossil though? Well, fossil is a very large, it's a very general word. Um, you know, it's, it literally means dug up. It's a general word which we use to mean a preserved remains from something from the past. That's how you can get trace fossils like footprints. That's all, you know, uh, coprolite, fossil feces, or it's how you can get all the different types of fossilization. And in order to fossilize something, you have a large mixture, a large variety of different ways of different excuse me, processes by which you can preserve something or fossilize something, right? Now, the number one way of fossilizing something is permineralization. You have minerals that you are buried within that impregnate, entrap and encase and infill the bone, particularly any porous spaces. So when you get a permineralized dinosaur bone, there's no denying, no secular scientist would deny that a dinosaur bone is fossilized it's a fossil right but when you split it open what you find is it's permineralized the minerals have permeated the bone they've infilled the cavities in the bone they've encased and entrapped the bone but the reality is the bone is still there the very bone that was inside the dinosaur that's why when you chop these things open you can start pulling out red blood cells and proteins and all the collagen you know and all the soft ooey gooey stuff it's because the permineralization it hasn't turned to stone it's infilled and entrapped it and the minerals can often only permeate so far it doesn't go into the bone necessarily and that means your original bone is still there and that's where you can get your soft ooey gooey stuff uh, which just shows there's no way it could be 65 plus million years old so then get hung up over the lots of different terms if you want a basic explanation petrification permineralization carbonization uh, pyrotization these are all different processes by which you preserve your fossil the reality is if it's preserved in a mineral solution or a mud solution or rock solution if it's a preserved remain from the past it's a fossil any other questions that have come up sam 
yes. Um, we've got two more. Uh, one from Doki Doki. Uh, I heard some caves have preserved the remains of some rather large creatures, large kangaroos. Do you have any confirmations of this? Uh, can I recommend you go and watch the stream version of Darwin on the Rocks? Right, you will see me leaping into the caves uh, on the Nullarbor uh, and the edge of the Nullarbor uh, plains there. And the reason I'm leaping into the caves is that these are not tourist caves. The only access was through a hole at the top and we didn't have a ladder. So you'll see John Mackay leaping in to get to the bones that are down the bottom. Now, several things happen and it still happens even today. An animal walks along. It won't be drunk, but it'll be jumping at night or walking at night and it will fall in. Sometimes that does them to death. So they'll then stay on the floor. Sometimes they'll wander around because oh. they, they can't get out and they will then starve. But in that area, it's very dry. They, they won't um, technically rot. They'll be mummified. If they do rot, their bones will be preserved because the other animals are not down in the caves looking for food. So, yes, having personally collected some of these bones, they really are there. Um, they're fairly recent, of course, since the cave form. If you can imagine Australia being uplifted after the flood, which is the whole of that Nullarbor region has risen up provably from below the sea. And uh, you'll find those caves are formed most likely by the presence of bacterial action. The whole area was covered with lush vegetation uh, when these caves started to form. That's easy to prove by the type of animals that are fossilized there. Some huge vegetarian creatures that couldn't survive in that semi-desert now. And so you've had massive cave formation, most likely due to those that uh, minus two acid formation uh, from the bacteria as the whole country drained off. The big animals have fallen in, been trapped, and the, the country's dried out and uh, they are preserved there. So, yes, we certainly have quite a few evidences of both the mummified creatures as well as the bones and that that are left and quick comment on some of the uk ones because we have a similar situation in the uk as well we have a number of big caves which we've found plenty of large bones in uh, in fact if you go and watch indiana joe's road trip in scotland uh one of the episodes we actually go to the bone caves uh, up in scotland as well and you can see some of the details there we've also just recently got hold of and we're getting some more samples from it uh, a very large cave down in the mendips which is down near bristol uh, which has got lots of evidence of things like hyenas and cave bears and all sorts of stuff and these are the big old cave bears not the ones that you get from romania and transylvania and the like these are the uh, the much bigger much more stereotypical cave bears when you think of cave bears um from the from the mendips in the uk definitely post flood um and in a time when the climate was apparently a lot kinder than it is at the moment uh, so yeah plenty of evidence of large creatures from from cave uh, remains so, as well, all over the world so just just a re reminder the name of that video or streaming was darwin on the rocks uh -huh. and sam put up the details on streaming that they can actually go and see those videos or get you i'm assuming you still have a few copies left joe if yeah. they want Darwin on the road. Absolutely. Get it on DVD, watch it, stream it, whatever. Um, this is one last question. Did you say, Sam, before we allow, allow John to, to wrap our evening? Yes, up? one last question, uh, and it goes to you, Joe. Uh, this is, comes from Douglas Boffey. Uh, Joe Hubbard, how's your doctorate research going? 
Pretty good. Thanks for asking. Uh, we will continue to give updates and stuff as when we when we can do. Um, but it's going uh, it's going very very positively at the moment. So yeah, thank you, thank you very much for asking. At the moment, a big emphasis is at uh, getting the the museum project uh, up and off of its on its feet. So um, that should be uh, that should be good. And we'll um, yeah, we'll we'll keep you updated as we go. I did see one very quick question, which we can just very very briefly comment on, which was this: What percent hydrochloric acid are we looking at when we're doing these hydrochloric acid tests? Um, not very strong. Uh, vinegar, basically, <laughs> don't the same thing, but not as as clearly because um, vinegar is not as strong. Uh, the way that I normally do it is I get patio cleaner. Um, I bought about. 10 years ago, I bought a five litre bottle of patio cleaner and I've used a tiny, tiny fraction of it uh, because that tends to be made out of hydrochloric acid as well. It's about 10, 10% somewhere around there, John. Yeah. Um, the one that I find best is because I go through a lot of hydrochloric acid and uh, in fact, it might surprise some people. One of the biggest expenses in extracting a fossil from limestone is not the cost of diggers, it's the cost of the acid to actually yeah. get the material out. But the one that I find best is a 3% solution because hydrochloric acid is quite potent on you as well as on the stuff. So if yeah. you use raw hydrochloric acid, you'll probably generate chlorine and sort of sniff yourself oh. to death. But if you use the mild stuff, 3%, uh, it's fairly safe. It's sort of like almost lemon juice. Right, I kid you not, you can actually make artificial lemon juice using hydrochloric acid. It won't hurt you because your stomach makes hydrochloric acid. That's what tastes so nasty when you vomit. You're getting a good dose of hydrochloric acid, which is a great disinfectant or germ cleaner as well. So God thought of this process ages ago. The 3% is the most effective and efficient and safe one that uh, I've found. So that's nice and easy. And Joe, just since you talked about your museum project, sneak a commercial in you need volunteers correct absolutely need we need volunteers. lots of volunteers yeah so get in touch with joe at his english address we're the same here uh, at jurassic arc uh, or in the ministry craig you've just uh, made a decision to enter full-time into creation research correct yep that's right looking forward to it that's right so we're looking for more supporters in australia as well uh, you can pray for diane who's still sick from the the flight uh, coming back to australia but play for her luggage too she's missing it but here's the point of tonight's program you see when the professor started off by saying he couldn't believe in creation because the world was too old evolution must be true it was not a scientific statement it was not based on anything observed not no experiment on the planet has backed up anything he said it was a pure faith decision or oh, not faith in the right sense faith in the atheist sense blind faith faith in something he hadn't seen so he reached a conclusion now i say it that way because many people say are oh, you christians you just believe you just have faith but there's a different sort of faith and it's a faith that's based on what you observed uh, you know the whole bible's an interesting book because it's all about things that not only one person observed but many observed in fact the first miracle that jesus did it's called a miracle because nobody could do it but jesus he went to a wedding right they went ran out of wine now that may not be your baptist wedding uh, but in reality it was a jewish wedding they ran out of wine and so jesus said get the servant bring a big flask of your, 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 your what do you call those jewish containers big ones 
and 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 it was had water in it and he actually said take it back outside and the water had turned to wine now you may have heard theological statements on that one theological analysis it's certainly impressive because you can't do it i mean if you could turn water into wine the overheads of the breweries would drop to zero and their profits would be magnificent but you can't do it the breweries can't do it they take a process which usually involves growing the grapes. It usually involves getting them, squashing them, then adding a fermenting agent. And then by the time the yeast has done its job, you've got to spend money with a bottling machine and all of those. It's a time extensive process. Jesus said, take the water outside and serve it. But by the time I got it there, it wasn't H2O, hydrogen oxygen. It was actually C2H5OH and a lot of other bigger chemicals. You know those purple colours and the flavours? And some of those are rather big organic chemicals. So where do they come from? No, he didn't spit into it. No, he, he didn't sort of add some, some powder or anything. You, you can buy powdered material you can drop into water and give it a wine-like flavour. But in reality, Jesus did none of that. All he did was speak. Now, the point is not to analyse it theological. The point is to analyse it time-wise. He didn't take time to turn water into wine. He knew the right process. After all, he'd invented grapes. He, he'd invented water. He knew how they worked because he knew what all the rules were. He didn't need time because he had the right process. In fact, when you look at all miracles, what miracles really are, someone who knew the right process that just bamboozled us because we only knew processes that would take a long time. So we find it hard to put our faith in our process into that situation because that would mean he's greater than we are. Oh, that's what the professors, the atheists are really worried about. Jesus Christ claims to be greater. Jesus Christ claims to be, well, he claims to be God. In fact, at that wedding, there were hundreds of witnesses. In fact, there was one key witness. It was the chief servant who took the water from the inside out into the, the party. And the people said, this is the best wine we've had in ages. I wonder what they would have said when the chief of the party said, hey, Mr. Butler, where did you get this wine from? And he said, we've got the bloke out the back that speaks to vases and water turns to wine. He would have said nothing because nobody would have believed him. But it was recorded because it was witnessed. It's not the blind faith of the atheist. It's the objective faith of the person in Jesus Christ who did as he was told. I mean, he could have said, no way, I'm not stupidly taking a vase of water that you've spoken over. They'll laugh at me. No, he had faith in that person and his faith was justified by the facts. So Christianity is not a blind faith. Christianity is a fact-based faith. So can I encourage you, if you're watching, check out the facts, check out the faith that alone comes from Jesus Christ and make sure you can see how one fits neatly into the other and get in touch with us if you want more information on becoming a Christian. It's been great to be with you this week, Joe. Back to you to hand off. Great stuff. Thank you, John. Thank you, everybody. That was a, I think that was a really great, a really great session again tonight uh, and a topic, a, a brand new topic that we've not covered before. So that's excellent. And there's much, much more that we could have said about it as well. So, uh, yeah, I think that went together very well. Thank you, everybody. Uh, that was brilliant. Well, uh, we're going to sign off now because me and John have got a, another uh, broadcast that we're doing in about two and a half hours, which is sort of one thirty, two o'clock in the morning for me and about uh, a nice 11 o'clock in the morning for, for John. So 
That's that's USA based, isn't it, Joe? That is USA based, yes. So it's about 5.30, I think, in the evening if you're Pacific time over on the the West Coast. And it's totally different from this show? Completely and and totally different. And where can they find out about that? That will be going out on our YouTube and our Facebook uh, channel in about three hours or so. Um, Something like that, 11, 12, 1. Yeah, about, about... two and a half, three hours, something like that. So uh, just uh, watch it live on our YouTube channel and on our Facebook channel. We're going to be putting it out on both. You can comment, you can ask questions, and uh, you will be able to see them and ask those questions, and that should be great. So keep those questions coming. Uh, there'll be another big group of people who will be doing it uh, with, the, with the group that we're doing it on Zoom, but that Zoom broadcast will go out to our YouTube channel as well. So great stuff. Um, yeah, catch us then, and, uh, and yeah, see you, see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>